dad said to me, have you seen the latest cable commercial? And I said, no. Which one are you talking about? He said, the one with the boy and the cable guy. And I said, no, I missed that one. And later on when we were watching the Boston Red Sox, yes, the Red Sox, the commercial came on and my dad just started out laughing. I don't know, have you seen the Comcast commercial with the cable guy when he drives up with the van and he drives up next to the house where he's going to install cable and internet service? And the boy's outside and he sees the driver open up the back door of the van and like, fireworks and this bright brilliant light comes out and the boy is just standing there with awe and wonder in his eyes and then the cable man grabs his tools and he goes inside to the house and he starts hooking up the cable and the father comes in and he sees the man open a panel up on the side of the wall and like a mini fireworks display thunder and lightning erupt out of this panel and there's the man with his eyes wide open in his mouth. And his boy says, you should see his van. <laughs> now, I don't know about the advertisers behind Comcast, but they sure paint the picture that if you buy Comcast, that there'll be wonder and awe as you use the internet or the cable, especially if you have high-dev TV. Now, perhaps you're like me, and you do have an internet and also a cable company, and perhaps your phone service as well, and they're all lumped together in one package. But as you sit home watching TV, surfing the channels, or perhaps surfing the internet, you find yourself wondering, how come there's nothing on TV with so many channels? How come I'm not filled with the wonder and awe that they're advertising? Well, that is a real question that I think many people are kind of asking in their lives. But I started to realize that I was watching way too much TV. So this summer I started to cut back on my watching and I started to read Scripture more. In fact, as I started to read God's Word, I found myself zeroing in on two particular passages, which I'd like to read for you tonight. The first one comes from Ephesians, chapter 2, 1 through 10, and the second one comes from Acts, chapter 2, 42 to 47. Let me read them to you first. Here's Ephesians, chapter 2, 1 through 10. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast, for we are God's 
workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And now the second passage that's been taking a lot of my devotion time, a lot of my meditation and reflection, comes from Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. As we uh, continue tonight, I'd like to pause for a moment, invite the Lord through prayer to lead us. So join me as I pray. Lord God, I thank you so much for the chance to come tonight and experience your worship, to see how you have galvanized us together with the fire band and allowed us to sing out to you. Thank you for all those that have given their time and efforts to create a new feel for fire with special lighting and adding enhanced creativity with videos. Lord, you are amazing in how you empower your servants to advance the gospel here on earth. And we pray, Jesus, for your heart to be a flame in all of us so that we can take what we have learned here and bring it out into the communities, into the lives in the greater pool of New England and beyond. God, we want to be used by you in significant, powerful ways. And we pray as we continue tonight that you will lead us and allow us to learn and discern what you have in store for us. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. I have been amazed and greatly encouraged by the growth of fire. Since we began three years ago, meeting over across the way in the bottom of Three Militia Drive in the basement, a.k.a. the wet dungeon, we have emerged onto the top floor of the main church building where we have seen men and women come to Christ. Others get baptized. And many emerge as leaders for the fire ministry and servants with the Greater Grace Chapel body. We have seen worship take on new vibrancy where it's not just the fire band praising out to God, but it's everyone who gathers here on Thursday nights become members of this band singing their hearts out before the Lord. We have also sent people down south to places like Louisiana and Ecuador and overseas like China and also to the Jordan to be part of God's incredible mission work. The last three years of fire, we have seen fire establish the base. Rooted in that base has seen it grow and extend. And now as we embark in the fourth year, we see the Lord wanting to release the base. And it's funny, as we announced the topic for tonight, fire released, there were some questions around this topic. Some people actually thought that fire release meant that we weren't going to have large group. We were released from meeting tonight. Other people thought 
fire release meant we were not going to meet tonight. We were actually going to meet together and walk the streets of Lexington or Boston and praise God as we walk down the streets, releasing the power and the kingdom of God locally. And then there were still others said, wait a minute, doesn't fire release mean we're going to go to the local prison and see prisoners being released from their incarceration and we're going to pray with them and love them and help them on their new life? Well, those were all really good possibilities for tonight, but that's not actually what we're going to do. We're going to discuss the future for fire. Where is God taking us? And I thought to help us with that, we will look at where God has brought two people as fire members, two people who have been involved in fire. I thought it would be just helpful to ask them a couple of questions and see what fire means to them. So I'm going to ask Stu Young and Brad to come up here and join me. Please give them a huge welcome. Ladies first. <laughs> now, Sue Young and Brad, I'm just so glad that you could do this. I asked them yesterday, so please bear with them, okay? Um, I'm just curious, how long have you been coming to fire? I've been coming to fire since it started back um, in the summer of 2004. And uh, I've been like uh, almost exactly a year. All right, so two different timelines. That's pretty cool. From the beginning and relatively new a year, all right? How did you hear about fire? Um, I was actually part of the small planning committee, so to speak, that was thinking about putting fire together and how it would look. And we went through, I guess, all the motions of what it would look like, would it work, like are people going to be interested? And so that's how I heard about it. Okay. All right, you're going to laugh. Um, my mom actually introduced me to fire. <laughs> she was looking for some place for me to get connected, and, uh, and that, that brought me over to Grace. So. Okay. I love the honesty. Thank you. So part of the vision team, the prayer team that birthed fire, and then really a mom who heard about fire in Grace Chapel brought Brad. That's okay. That's okay. That's all right. That's all right. God works in many mysterious ways, okay? I'm curious. What makes fire different from other groups or events in your life? I don't know, I guess the first thing I'd say, like, working full-time and everything, that to come to FIRE is such an opportunity for me to just ground myself and be around people that are so passionate about God and are looking to figure out what God wants for our lives. And it's just so encouraging to see so many brothers and sisters in Christ to just be able to fellowship and worship and learn more about God through this community. All right. Ditto. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, exactly what she said, uh, just the... Just the community, the, the, just uh, the aspect of so many different people from all walks of life. Um, you know, you, you, never, you never feel left out. There's always someone that's doing something that, that you like to do. You, you're always being connected. Um, someone's, like, sometimes you just don't have enough time to say hello to as many people want to say hello to you. Um, so it's just great. Uh, they really reach out. Um, I think the, one of the, the best aspects is you really get fed here from everyone. Everybody is like so excited about Jesus and like the passion keeps on going and uh, it's contagious. So that's one of the best things. All right. And this kind of spins off the last question. How has your life changed by being involved in fire? I'd say a whole lot, but um, just to go into like a couple of different examples, I just remember just as JT was saying, going through all the phases of what fire like from being over in Three Militia and coming all the way over here and seeing so many people come and go and grow through that and 
having people help me grow too. I think about little things is I didn't really understand what it meant to pray. And I kind of wanted that dialogue like you can have with a person, but that wasn't like what I felt that I was getting. But through a couple of people, um, a couple of my sisters, I was able to kind of just, I guess in a way, practice um, praying and praying out loud. And that's something that I've become more comfortable with. And I've also been able to step out in leadership positions that I also didn't think I was going to do. But um, just kind of trust, learning to, <laughs> learning to trust that um, when God's at the center of your life and you're trusting him with everything in your life, that he's going to bless you no matter what. And it's just a matter of trusting him and even going down on my first mission trip to Louisiana this summer, this um, winter, and <laughs> um, and just there's so many li- things. The list goes on, and I think one of the biggest things in my life right now is an accountability group that we started. Um, a handful of us sisters have started, and it's just been definitely a blessing in my life, and it's something that all of us involved have really prayed about, and God just presented us with the people um, and the timing, and just everything worked out, and I definitely encourage all of you to seek something like that out because um, our faith is our own, but at the same time, there's so many things that are going to go on in our life that you need help and you need brothers and sisters that can encourage you and help you through those things. And I can't tell you how much that means to me right now. That was awesome. Um, uh, I think the, the same aspect, accountability, was, was one of the, the biggest things um, that's come out of fire that God has has led me into. Um, also, the, the men's group that meets uh, every uh, at the end of every month. Um, it's on the FIRE website. I mean, on the Facebook website. If you guys are joined in FIRE, you'll, you'll, get, the, uh, you'll get the invite. Um, missions trips. The first time out of the country, I went to uh, Amman, Jordan. Uh, like, even my parents are amazed. Like, like, God will lead you to places that you never even imagined. Like, I didn't even know. I said I'd go to Jordan, and then I had to look on the map to find out where it was. <laughs> like, I was like, oh, that's where I'm going. Yeah. <laughs> Trade in my flyer miles for something like that. No, but, like, God just leads you in, uh, in to, to continue saying the passion here is contagious. Uh, everybody is so excited about... Um, uh, Jesus and living for him. And I think that's like the best aspect that's been going on um, for a long time is the fact that, uh, that fire is really seeking the, the Great Commission to, to um, reach out to people, reach out to the lost, reach out to people who don't know God's saving grace and his mercy and, uh, and the power of that. And uh, like he has so given the blessings and the gifts to all of us, you know, anyone that's accepted uh, Christ as their Savior. Um, and like he's given it to us not so that we can hoard it up and hide it in our hearts but so that we can give it back out and fire is totally on on uh on board with everything that god wants to uh to reach and save the loss and to to reach out to people who don't know christ yet and i think that's that's huge so that's amazing now these both uh wonderful people think we're done with the questions okay but i have one question that they're not prepared for he's really using broken vessels tonight so um, you've talked about your experience with fire and how it's impacted your life and how you've been involved. But I'm just curious, where do you see fire heading for the future? Ladies first. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess just continued growth. I mean, I don't have a number or anything like that, but just being a part of just, again, from us just being a small planning group, 
to where we are now. It's just really encouraging to see that, and I hope that we can continue to do that and at the same time reach out to not just people in Lexington, but just as many people as we can reach out to. It's all about just showing them Christ's love through us and being an example. And I think we can definitely multiply and grow a lot more um, in the future. Uh, I would... uh... I would love to see more accountability groups. I can't tell you how much it's helped me and, and the, the gentlemen that are that are in my group. Um, uh, like I said, I hope it's contagious because Jesus' love is contagious. And I just see fire growing. Uh, I started doing hospitality uh, a couple months ago, and uh, I just see more and more new faces uh, every, every time we have fire. And it, it's amazing to see how many new people are coming. And, uh, and it's just getting bigger and bigger, and uh, people seem to be uh, just being accepted well. And that's, that's like, the biggest thing. Like, people are real here. So I just see fire getting bigger. Uh, I see our outreach getting uh, stronger. Uh, I see more mission trips, and I just see, uh, like, a group that comes together like no other and, and reaches the lost. All right. Well, thank you both very much. Let's give them a big hand. Great, great. Great answers, honest uh, dialogue. Thank you both. Really, really appreciate that very much. Well, I thought also one thing that would be helpful a little bit is to kind of rewind the clock a little bit, look back in our history in our New England roots. And the reason being that is as we were preparing for the kind of what we call the the year 2007-2008, because we look at the, the fall calendar going all the way through May here at Grace Chapel as kind of one complete year, for us. And to look at that, just seeing where is God planning to take fire? And there have been a lot of people in the group praying and discerning and sharing thoughts and, and ideas. And as that was culminating, this kind of historical marker in the New England soil came as a story to me. And I just thought it'd be neat to share it with you. And then maybe from that in the scripture and the, the sharing of Brad and Sue Young, we can get a crystal clear picture of where God is taking us. Well, it happened actually in 1806 on a late August afternoon. Five students found themselves walking out into a field from their college campus. The five students were Samuel J. Mills, James Richard, Francis L. Robbins, Harvey Loomis, and Byron Green. All five students were from Williams College, And they walked out into this field to talk about their spiritual lives and the Great Commission. Now, as they were talking about this, they felt the Lord's presence to the point that they were talking about bringing God's love, compassion, and mercy to the world, to faraway places. Now, remember, this is 1806. They did not, not exactly have the transportation benefits that we have today. And they were talking about going places that they never even imagined. When Brad said he didn't know where it was on the map, these folks didn't know how far they could go if the Lord was willing to take them there. But as they were discussing, they were so wrapped up into this spiritual dialogue that they didn't even notice a storm was descending on them at a rapid rate. To the point that when the heavens opened up and the rain started to fall, the thunder clapped and the lightning started to strike the ground. They were so far 
from the campus in any other buildings of protection that they had to dart into a haystack. And they found themselves kind of hovering together in this huge mound of hay out of the way of the storm. And that did not slow them down. They continued their spiritual discussion about the Great Commission. And Samuel ended up saying, we know God is in our lives and he wants to use us to reach people locally and globally. Let's commit to serving God. And this has become known as the Great Awakening or part of the Great Awakening that was sweeping America and hitting this local college campus where people started to read scripture and pray. And these five students started what was called the Haystack Revival. And as they met, many of them went out and served and started an overseas mission sending agency. And I would like to say that, that we are, you are, Grace Chapel, FIRE, are really descendants of this incredible missions-minded movement. And that's really where I want to say for us, as we started to pray about 2007, 2008, what was God revealing to us? And two words kept emerging. One was revival, and the other was commitment. God has incredible revival in store for us. For those that have been tracking with us, I've been saying all year long, since we turned the new year, God is going to do incredibly great things in the year 2007. Well, guess what? 2007 is not over yet. And as we saw the video clip about grace, let me just talk about the people that I see in and around Grace Chapel or Lexington. On Sunday, Brian Wilkerson, our senior pastor, talked about the surrounding communities have 250,000 people. Out of those 250 people, how many are 20 and 30-something? If you have that number, please let me know. I don't know the exact number, but I do know this. Arlington, Waltham, Woburn and Bedford have a huge rental population. And who is likely to rent? People in their 20s and 30s, sharing life together in an apartment, working daily, maybe going to school, trying to save up enough money to go out on the weekend, maybe squirreling away some deposit so someday can buy a condo or a house. That's kind of the average context I think that we're fitting in here in this centered community. Now as God releases our base, releases fire into the surrounding communities, I see people like in the video being empowered by the love of God. I see many, 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 many young adults, 20 or 30, single or married, trying to figure out what life means. I see people desperate, desolate, in despair. Maybe they're between jobs. Maybe they've gotten the eviction notice of their landlord. Perhaps they're sick and tired of their roommates and they're moving out, but they don't know where to go. Maybe they were in, enrolled in school and they can't afford tuition anymore and they're fearful for the future. Perhaps they were in a relationship and the relationship got pulled out from under them. And now they're wondering if they'll ever be married. Those people 
are asking themselves, what is life about? Is there anyone out there who cares about me, that will love me, will accept me? And then I actually think there's some other type of people asking the question about grace. They're the people that you may be familiar with. Might be family members, friends, or colleagues. They're the people that appear to have life all together. They got a place to live. They got something to do. They have friends or family to hang out with. They dress nice. They talk well. They're the people that you probably say, I don't have to worry about. They don't seem insecure or in need. However, have you ever stopped to wonder that perhaps the people that appear to have life all together are the ones inside questioning the most? For example, look at our TV shows. We have a great following of the show Heroes or Lost and wonderful summer blockbusters like Spider-Man 3 and the latest... Um, not the Hobbit movie, um, Harry Potter, thank you, Harry Potter, where there is a desire, I believe, among people our age, especially among our age, to actually find something, some experience, some spiritual hope or change in life that will get us out of our mundane routine existence. And it's in that spiritual hunger that we claim or clamp or uh, latch on to shows like Heroes, where we can escape and put ourselves in their shoes. But it's funny, as Hollywood makes these TV shows or these movies, they've actually really hit an inner core. Because as we want to be someone else, we get caught up into the dichotomy that they're experiencing. Have you noticed that most of these kind of Hollywood characters are not comfortable with their superpowers or their gifts or their responsibility to save the world or do something? Yet I think many of us might kill to have their superpowers or might rise up to the challenge to defeat the enemy that's before us. But it's an interesting diagnosis of the men and women in our culture today. Because I think deep down in, they're asking the question, if my life is all together, if I have job security and a place to lay my head down at night, why am I asking questions? Why am I searching for more? And I see us as men and women of fire as Brad and Sun Young shared, people that are reading Scripture, that are being fueled by the Gospel, that are experiencing life change, that are holding each other accountable, that are encouraging each other to worship, that are meeting together, that are, are worshiping, are serving, are studying, are leading, are caring for each other. I see as God has, been, been do, has done in such an effective thing here at FIRE in the past three years, God is ready to throw open the doors and release us out into the community so that we can touch people in the love and compassion and mercy of Christ so that they will no longer have to ask the question, what is grace? That they will experience grace
by our actions. I see us going out locally and globally. We've been doing a great job with Soul Food where we have gone downtown Boston once a month to meet the needs of those that are less fortunate than ourselves by giving clothes and food and helping the homeless. I see God in amazement working through us to expand beyond a once a month activity and beyond a one city location. Can I see, can you see the men and women of fire meeting the needs of people not only in Boston, but all in the communities in between. I see us going globally, not just for summer short-term missions trips, but God launching out full-time, lifetime missionaries from our midst. I see that this summer or this year, because as we learned last year in January, it does not mean that the short-term missions trips are only to happen June, July, or August. That we sent out our first January trip last year. I see that we're going to have missions trips happening all year long, and they're going to emerge out of all our life community groups. This past year, we had three missions trips and one other partnership with a mission team. We have eight life communities, and some that are about to multiply into two or three groups. Does that mean that the year 2007 to 2008 will have 12 mission teams launched to reach people around the globe? I see that happening. And I see all of us praying and asking the Lord how you want us to be involved, to go or be part of the sending team to support those called to go. I see our community that has been so good at care and connection with those that have come into our midst. I see that community where people are honest with each other, that share their struggles, and when someone is in need, we all rally around with our cars to help someone move, or someone that's going through a difficult time, we offer money, we show up, and we're there. I see us actually going out and befriending people on the job, in the schools, in the community, so that through our time, our intentionality, and our willingness, that these people that we encounter, that we engage, they will come to know Jesus Christ, His mercy and compassion, because the grace that we have received will be extended to them. Instead of praying, and expecting people to walk to us, to drive into our parking lot, climb the stairs. God is releasing us. He's driving us. He is pushing us. He is extending us to go out and to be His great commission in 2007, 2008 that will shake the foundations of New England so that the vision is this, to reach and grow young adults. That the vision is that every single 20 or 30 something, single or married, will come into contact with a man or woman from fire. And that will not be what they will remember. They will remember coming into contact with Jesus Christ. They will see someone that genuinely cares about them follows up and remembers their name 
remembers what experience they shared. Whether it's high-fiving as the Patriots throw a touchdown pass, or it's lining up for an unemployment check. Whether it's rooting on the Red Sox as they win the World Series, or it's coming out of a rape crisis center. The love that we receive, that we share here, can no longer stay here. God is calling us to experience a revival. A revival that starts with prayer. We have learned something with the awakenings. The first one, the second one, and then the many revivals that have happened. That in order to see and experience revival, the Holy Spirit has to percolate up within the midst of the men and women in that local church group, in that body of the shared believers. And that's what's been happening right here at FIRE. As we've been studying God's Word, there have been people here praying for revival. And do you know what precedes revival? Prayer. Let me ask that again. Do you know what what precedes revival? Prayer. So as we start to expand the prayer movement in fire. I pray that you'll join those already praying regularly for incredible spiritual revival. And as we proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ, His love, His mercy, His love that will never fail, that will always be there, as the revival captures your heart, be ready to make a commitment. Be ready to invest Be ready to stand firm in the faith that God is bestowing on you so that you can be released. So that you can be equipped. So that you can be empowered by the Holy Spirit to do incredible works of awe and wonder today. Because Jesus Christ is ready to release fire through revival and commitment. Commitment that many have already chosen to do. Call fire your home and they've invested, they've signed up, they're on board, whether it be a life community leader, a fire band member, a tech team awesome guru in the back doing technology that I can't even fathom, events and activity person, as Brad shared, the hospitality team, you're on the prayer team, you're part of the kind of what I call the committed chosen called, appointed, wonderful multipliers of ministry, multipliers of fire. Because it takes many people to multiply God's work. But I see that this commitment of a few people across fire is going to multiply, it's going to mushroom. This year we're going to be marked by significant commitment that more people that call fire home are going to say, I want a part of it. I want to give you my thoughts, my time, my creative energy, and I want to see God use it well. That commitment might mean joining one of the teams I just mentioned. The commitment might mean that you're going to be the first one here praying over what happens. Your commitment might mean that you're going to start talking about Jesus Christ to your friends, your family members so that they now will know that your life is different because it is. Now, as I got thinking about tonight, 
I was reading Todd Phillips' book, and I just want to share a little experience from Todd. For those that don't know, Todd Phillips was a past fire retreat speaker, and he's the teaching pastor of Frontline, which is Frontline's uh, young adult ministry at McLean Bible Church. Todd Phillips shares the story that he was driving home on a back road late, late, late at night, and he could see in the distance something in the middle of the road. He wasn't sure what it was, but he slowed down. And as he drove closer, he realized it was a body in the middle of the road. And there was no one around. And there was no lights. So he stopped right next to the body, and he reached for his cell phone, and he realized he forgot it at home. As Todd thought about the situation, there's a body in the middle of the road, a road that has no one nearby, no one around. I'm the only one. What do I do? What am I going to do? He gets out of the car. He bends down to the man. He listens. Nothing. He rolls the body over, looks in the face. It's lifeless. Puts his ear to the lips. Nothing. To the chest. Nothing. Should I do CPR? Do I remember how many breaths? If I start pumping the chest, will I do more damage than good? He's just racked with fear. He's worried. He's filled with incredible mixed emotions. I know I got to stick through. I got to do this. I could save this man's life. But I could also hurt him. What if he's already dead? I could be wasting my time, my energy. Todd begins to breathe into this man's mouth and then pump the chest. Listen, nothing. Breathe into the mouth. Pump the chest. Nothing. Breathe into the mouth. Pump the chest. Nothing. Breathe, pump, breathe, pump, breathe, breathe, pump, pump. He's doing it for about 20 minutes. Finally, he listens. A faint breath. Breathes a couple more times. Faint breath. Breathes a couple more times. Stronger breath. A cough. A car pulls up. A woman has a cell phone. She calls 911. Shortly as this man with Todd props up is sitting up, breathing carefully, the EMTs come, they take over, and they say to Todd Phillips, you saved this man's life. Todd drives away in the car. Wow! This is amazing! I breathe life back into this human being. It's like 3, 4 in the morning. Todd doesn't know who to call, but he wants to tell someone about this. So he calls his mom. Brad, it's okay, all right? You're not the only one. He calls his mom. His mom wakes up and goes, what? What, what is it? Mom, I, I just did the most amazing thing. I saved a man's life. I prayed, I acted, and the Holy Spirit gave me the courage to give CPR. And he came back to life. Let me share with you from Todd's book his response to this incident. We rarely drive or walk up on physical catastrophes like the one described. In all likelihood, we never have the opportunity to perform CPR successfully and revive another human being. Yet something similar happens to us almost every day of our lives. We walk up not on physical catastrophes, 
but spiritual catastrophes nearly every day. People who are spiritually dead, not dying, not drowning, but dead all around us. They are dead in their sins and have no hope. They possess no heavenly heartbeat, no eternal breath. Yet we don't stop to offer assistance. Instead, we pass by offering nothing. Even though we see no help coming in any direction for them, we tell ourselves that surely someone who knows how to really witness will come soon and help them. We excuse ourselves from the crisis by claiming that we don't know enough Scripture or that we wouldn't know what to say. We convince ourselves that evangelism isn't our gift and that we're not responsible for the condition of this person. Then with no help in sight, we walk by, never even giving them a chance to hear the life-giving truth that comes from a relationship with Jesus. We miss out on the opportunity to give what I call spiritual CPR. Just as you might have been beaten on the chest, just as you might have been just as you have beaten on the chest and breathed into the mouth of the dead man in the story, you have the opportunity to press the word of God into the heart of a spiritually dead friend. Nothing is more life-changing than watching a spiritually dead person come to life. Not even the act of CPR on a lifeless body can compare to giving spiritual CPR to a lifeless soul. Just as the scenario above would be a significant marker in your life, so would the act of sharing the gospel with someone who possessed no spiritual life, then watching God place inside them the first eternal breath. Nothing will change you more than watching someone who has heard the good news pray to be forgiven. Then raise his or her head, wipe away tears from his or her eyes, and begin to breathe eternally. Until you have experienced this, you have not experienced all that God has to offer. In simply sharing truth about Jesus, we find complete joy. We do not have to wait for a person to respond to our witnessing. In the simple act of witnessing, God promises complete joy. You hear what Todd's writing here? It's something that you may have heard before. It's not your responsibility that the person is saved. But it is our responsibility to share, to witness Jesus Christ. In the simple act of witnessing, God promises complete joy. Many wrongly believe that Jesus called the disciples to save people. But he is very clear that he does the saving. We are only to be witnesses. Being a witness takes the pressure off us and puts the responsibility on God. As I look out, not only do I see fire being released through a company of committed young adults, I see fire being trained and equipped to be God's EMTs, to be able to extend spiritual CPR no matter where you may find yourself. It might be someone that is down and out, questioning life, thinking about suicide, and you show up to ignite their heart with spiritual CPR so that they know they matter. First and foremost to God, 
and then matter to you second. That as we expand our life communities, they will be expanded by new people coming to Christ. They will be expanded by others seeking out significance and love and finding hope and courage and dignity and respect so that their life that they left behind where they walk with their head down low, they will walk in the footsteps of Christ with their head held high. It's interesting as I reread this book this summer from Todd Phillips, and I really saw this incredible truth that we are all being trained to be God's EMTs for today's times. I revisited a high school friend of mine. His name was Peter, and he was on the track team. And Peter, one day, was resting by the pole vault, and one of his friends took the pole vault and ran, and the pole vault shattered in his hands. And as he was halfway in the air, he fell. And as he fell, a piece of the splintered pole vault went right into his thigh. Peter was the only one around. Everyone else was running or doing things. He went right by, and he pushed the splintered piece of pole through his leg. And then he held the leg together, trying to stop the squirting blood that had already created a pool over the young man's head. The EMTs came, and they said, you saved his leg by holding him still and keeping pressure on this incredibly damaged part of his vessels, his blood, and his arteries. Peter went on to college in Texas. He came to find Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. He called me and said, you'll never believe what I just did. At this point, I had been a believer. I was praying and hoping that he would come to know Jesus Christ. He said to me, I shared my faith for the very first time with another student. <laughs> I couldn't believe his voice on the phone. I was there like, like a couple hours after he saved this kid's life on the track field. The phone call was more riveting, more renewing, more reviving, more exciting. And I said, Peter, tell me the truth. What are you going to do with this experience? He said, I found my purpose. I'm going to tell more people about Jesus. I'm going to get more people connected to God's community. I'm going to find ways to love people creatively. Peter and I graduated college in 1989. Peter from the time he was a freshman when he came to find Christ, has been sharing his faith with more people than any other friend I have. And you know what gets him up in the morning? Is prayer. The first thing he does is he prays. He prays that his life will be revived. He will experience revival. And the people that he knows will seek and understand and be empowered by God to be part of his revival in and across this land. And there's nothing more exciting that Peter or as Todd describe than being part of God's plan to share the gospel, the great commission to men and women that you know and to men and women you don't know. And that's what I see as fire is being released 
And you know, as I shared with you at the beginning, I said that I've cut back on my TV viewing, and yet I'm sure my dad will continue to share funny commercials and want me to see them on TV. I hope and pray that it will not be a commercial that will cause people to stop and stare with awe and wonder. Instead, I see the brilliance of Jesus Christ in the lives of us at fire, causing people to pause, open up their eyes, and with wonder say, how can I follow the God you love in the same way that you do? So I can experience the same life transformation. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for tonight. Thank you for your truth, your love, and your word. And thank you also for the ability to see your vision. To reach and grow young adults in and around this group called FIRE. I pray, Jesus, as you release us, that you will revive us and you will renew us. You'll train and equip us and you'll give us strength courage and hope to boldly go places where you call us. I pray that the rest of 2007 and the start of 2008 will be marked with commitment and revival unprecedented for anyone's dreams, anyone's expectations, and that we will gladly follow you in amazing, powerful ways. And I pray, Jesus, as we do that, that you will take away any fear, doubts, worries, or concerns and allow us to love people, whether they're on the bottom or the top of what our culture calls success or failure, and that you'll allow them to experience the same love that you lavish on us, and that they can experience the same grace that you bestowed on us and through us, so that they too can come to believe in your Son, Jesus Christ. It is in your name that we pray. Amen.